will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Father, we thank you so much this morning that the, the rags that were dipped in blood shall be burned by the fire. You have taken away our burden. You have released us from bondage through the sending of your Son. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Thank you, Father, for loving us, for coming to us, for initiating that love relationship through your Son, Jesus. This morning, Lord, as we continue to worship through the hearing and preaching of your word, Lord, we pray that truly we would be free people when we leave, that the burden and bondage that binds us, Lord, may be left at the foot of the cross this morning as we come and visit the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 2 this morning, crazy Christmas vacation. You know, as another plug for the program, the innkeeper touches on this really well. The wise men touch on this very thing in their testimonies um, tonight. But as we looked last week at in Crazy Christmas Vacation, we saw the road trip um, and how we learned from that that God's will doesn't always line up the way we think it should, how it was a really strange time, really strange request that God uh, had, a really, a really strange, bizarre road that God had put uh, Mary on in order to bring His Son into the world. And we think that sometimes we have God all planned and figured out, and we know exactly what He should do. And hopefully last week it kind of opened our eyes to the realization that God's will does not always run in accordance with our will. In fact, very rarely it ever does. Um, and it's good, and it's perfect nonetheless. And of course, Mary, though she never could have imagined the way that road would have twisted and turned and all that would have been required of her, um, we do know and we're reminded that she was blessed to be a part and to be a handmaiden of the Lord. This morning we look at that part of our Christmas vacation that maybe some of you have dealt with before, the unexpected guests. And we tried hard to get a video clip of Cousin Eddie showing up at the Griswold's house. Um, Unfortunately, we were unable to do that. Um, but at any rate, we've always probably, we've probably had those moments where someone showed up that we weren't expecting. We, we weren't anticipating them. And that happened with the family. That happened with Joseph and with Mary and with baby Jesus. Someone shows up. Some people show up and no one was anticipating them to be there. And I want you to start joining with me as we read Matthew chapter 2. I want to read the first 12 verses of that chapter with you. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of, Ju of Jordan, of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And when Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. 
And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the place where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's stop there. You know, it's funny. We don't really know much about these guys. We know their gender. We know their occupation to some extent. We know they were men. We don't really even know the number of them. I, I know in a lot of our nativity scenes and a lot of our songs, we sing of three kings or three wise men, and we only really get that number because there are three gifts, and we believe that each one brought a gift, but we don't really know. There, there could have been 10. There could have been 20. We have no idea how many there were. We just know there was more than one. There was enough going on when the wise men came into Jerusalem to speak with Herod that it didn't just trouble Herod, but the Bible says that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. That the, This caravan that came into Jerusalem really kind of caused havoc. It would have been Probably the equivalent, I would imagine, of the presidential motorcade pulling into Jerusalem. I'm sure traffic was backed up. I'm sure tra- you know taxis couldn't get around. I'm sure it was a nightmare. They had to, people had to detour and all of that. But regardless, these men, even though we don't know much about them, the Bible is really clear on their place in around the early the early time of Jesus' life. We know that they are Gentiles. They came from another country. We know that they were uh, astronomers or scientists, if you will, and they studied the stars. In fact, we really don't even know a whole lot about what they saw other than they considered it to be a star. And beyond that star, it was not just this, this celestial glowing body. It wasn't just something that was stationary in the sky. It was something that gave them a sign that they were looking for, and it was a clear sign. It was a sign that the king of the Jews has been born. Beyond it simply being a a, a message, it also was their GPS. It is what led them to find Christ. It's a remarkable event in Scripture. And I'm just so, so excited to be able to look at that early story of Jesus and see those people who were there when Jesus was born. At God's opening act of the New Testament to see that when he breaks that silence, who does he bring in to the conversation? Who does he bring in to that scene? But lowly shepherds. I mean, shepherds who were disregarded because they were considered to be dirty and filthy because they lived out in the, in the, flo- in the fields with their flocks. Who, do they, who does God bring to the table to see his son? Gentiles. What a, what a blessing to us. To remember that even though the king of the Jews was been, had been born, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly for all people. And God designed it that way from the very beginning. These men are remarkable because they only had a little bit of light. And when I'm talking about light, I'm talking about information. I'm talking about opportunity. These wise men, all they had was a star They knew what that star meant, they interpreted what that star meant, and they followed that star. These men only had one little bitty body of light, one small opportunity to follow, and they did. While 
the Herod and all of the religious leaders knew where he was going to be born, had had a testimony from other people that he had been born and knew the location of where he was. And yet they wouldn't make the five-mile trip to go see Jesus, but yet these men had traveled a great distance from the east to see the king of the Jews. I want you to see this morning that these wise men, however many there were, teach us about one of the most important parts of our relationship with Christ. And it's worship. These men teach us, these unexpected guests, teach us really what the fundamentals of worship truly are. Notice this first thing. They worship Jesus for the right reason. Now think about this for a minute. They worshiped Jesus for the right reason. You see... If you think about when they came, he, Jesus was at least two years old because when Herod went out to, to kill all the children, hoping he would get this king out of jealousy, he killed all of the boys that were two years and under. So we know that Jesus was at least two years or younger when this happened. And yet here come these wise men. They walk into this place and they, the star has led them and they see this at least a two-year-old baby boy. A toddler at best. And these men worship him. Now think about this for a minute. They worship him because they believe he is the king of the Jews. They believe he is who, he said, who, who, who they believed he was going to be. And when they come into that place, they fall down and they worship him and they give gifts. And here's the great thing. They're not using their worship as an opportunity to gain something from this king. You see, they're not worshiping in an attempt to posture themselves, hopefully, to be able to get some kind of retribution back for them. They're not bartering using their worship as currency with this king because he was too young to be able to do anything like that. You've probably met people like that before. Maybe you yourself at one point in your life had been like that where you would say, God, you know what? I will start giving if you will allow me to have this. God, I'll tell you what, if you, if you remove this from me, or if you will do this for me, God, I'll tell you what, I won't miss a Sunday. God, I'll start doing this. I'll go into, the, I'll go into this ministry, God, if you would allow this to happen. And sometimes we think that God can be barter, that we can trade with God, and that we can use our worship or our devotion as currency, and He's not fooled. He's not fooled, nor is He moved by our attempts to barter with Him. He is who he says he is and we should worship him as such if you think about it this is what is truly remarkable to me and i'd never thought of this really until this message was that these men did not just worship him for who he was they didn't even worship him for what he had done now think about that for a minute they're not there because of what he had done. You know why? He hadn't done anything yet. You know what is truly awesome about this? We come into this place on this day every week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been doing it for over 2,000 years. We come in here and our hearts are to be full of joy. Our hearts are to be moved and stirred all through the week thinking about Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and He died on the cross for our sins. 
We come in here with our minds full of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As believers, we are so grateful that he stretched out his arms and paid our penalty in full, that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We worship him today because of what he's done for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But these men didn't worship him because of what he had done. He hadn't done anything. They only worshipped him because of who he was. You know what's awesome about that? I assure you, there are going to be times in your life where you're going to be going through and there are going to be some really tough times. There are going to be moments where you may lose your job, you may, you may lose your health, you may lose your hair. I have no idea of all of the things that you may lose. And you may be looking around, you may say, hey God, I know you died for me, I know you're raised again, but you know what? What are you doing for me now? There may be those moments where finding the things that God has done for you may be a little difficult. When I read and remember the story of the wise man, I don't have just as a foundation worshiping him because of what he's done for me. When all else fails, I can worship him because he is God. I can worship him because he is good. Because of his love. Because of his mercy. Because the rags dipped in blood will be burned by the fire, the burden of those oppressed will be removed, that all high things will be made straight. I can worship him because he is who he is. Let me remind you of a man who got it. Struggled at times, but got it. He was a man who had a whole lot of things, a lot of possessions. Good-sized family. Everything was going well. And in a moment, he lost almost everything. Lost his kids. Lost his possessions. Lost his health. And the one thing that he held on to was his wife, and she became a thorn in his side. That man who lost all of those things, was able to sit in the middle of the ash heap of destruction. Able to sit literally in the seat of deep despair and say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He was able to worship God when he couldn't see what God was doing when it didn't add up, when it didn't make sense, when it didn't feel good, he could still worship because of who God is. What an encouragement to us this morning. I have a great, great list of the blessings of God. I have them up here. I have them in here. I have a long list of all the things He's done for me, all of which are not warranted and not deserved, but out of His mercy and His grace, He's given them to me. I have all of this great list I can go through mentally over and over and over. And with that list, I can begin to shout praise. But you know what? If there wasn't a thing on that list at all of what God had blessed me with, I could still praise Him because He is good and the government is upon His shoulders. He is 
God. Let us be reminded of that. Those moments when it feels like all is gone, let us remember that he is still good. His character never changes, nor is there any shadow of turning with him. Let me show you the second thing that the wise men teach us. That they didn't just worship for the right reasons, not to be repaid, not because of anything he had done, but simply because of who he was. Notice the second thing is that true worship may look foolish from other people's perspective. True worship may look foolish from other people's perspective. Imagine, if you will, for just a minute, that Mary and Joseph are probably watching Wheel of Fortune, and they get a knock at the door, and Joseph gets up and goes, and and the camels are all lined up, the caravan, and then all of these really nice-dressed, wealthy people who don't maybe look like them say, we're here to see your son. And as they come in, can you imagine as Mary reaches up and mutes the television? Can you imagine as they walk across the floor and begin to kneel and take out of their packs gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh and kneel before their son that would have been no older than two years old? How crazy would that have looked? How bizarre would that have appeared? You know what, guys? As believers, true worship, our true worship may look foolish to the rest of the world. Do you think Job's friends thought it was foolish that he's sitting in the heap of deep despair and yet he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord? Yes, that sounds foolish from the world's perspective to praise and honor and glorify one whom you say has given me and has also taken away. Did it not look foolish that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel would have all been willing to put their lives on the line, refusing to take the easy road and bow down and worship idols at risk of their own lives, knowing that some of them would be thrown into a fiery furnace, knowing that the other would be thrown into the pit of lions to know that those men say, you know what, I'm not going to bow. I'm going to worship the one true God. To everybody else, it would have looked foolish to put your life on the line when it would have been so easy to give in, but they did not do it. How odd was it that Stephen, in the midst of being stoned in the book of Acts, looked up to heaven, beheld the face of Christ, and said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. What a bizarre thing you think someone would fight back. You think someone being, being hit with stones would, would be angry and attempt to fight back, but rather he showered them with love and prayed that God would overlook their sin. What about the woman of ill reputation who came into Simon's house and seeing Jesus there, walked in without any invitation amidst all the disciples, amidst all of the other house guests, knowing that no one else would have wanted her there but Jesus. And she went down to his feet and opened up the alabaster box of ointment, broke it and poured it on his feet anointing his feet with her ointment, a costly ointment, costly perfume, anointing and washing his feet with the, with the tears from her eyes. You remember that the disciples thought it was crazy? The disciples thought that that true act of worship was foolish. One of them said, Lord, this perfume could be sold and the money given to the poor. They didn't understand. True worship sometimes looks foolish. 
There may be people knowing that you could have you could have all these other things that you could spend your money on. But to you, tithing is an act of worship. To you, faithful giving is an act of worship. And to the rest of the world, it may look foolish that you begin at 10% and give that to God straight off the top. You know what? They look at that and say, that's crazy. That's foolish. You know what? True worship in Scripture has always looked foolish to a fallen world, to a lost world. I want you to see this third and final thing, please. They teach us that their act of worship Our act of worship to God helps meet tangible needs. See, their worship went further than they probably thought. They probably had no idea. All they were doing was coming to the king and they were wanting to give him gifts that were appropriate for a king. And they come and when they enter the house, they lay down gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now think about this. What happens after those wise men leave? After those wise men leave, they've been warned in a dream that Herod wants to kill that baby king. They know that, so they go back another way and don't go and talk to Herod. But then the family receives a message that Herod wants to kill your son. You need to get out of here. God sends them down to Egypt. Another road trip. We won't go into that road trip. Don't you think Mary just loved that, right? What's 70 miles on a donkey, possibly five days, and now another road trip? Joseph probably can't work, right? They didn't have maternity leave back then, friends. Joseph's not able to work, taking care of the kid. Now they have to relocate down to Egypt for who knows how long. Ah, praise God. God knew exactly what he's doing at right, just the right time to provide what? Gold. Gold. That was a was an offering fit for a king but you know what it was intended to ascribe glory and honor and majesty to the baby king but you know what it did it met real tangible needs for the family guys let me tell you something if our acts of worship don't meet tangible needs i wonder if they're really an act of worship Because God doesn't just want us to to honor him with our lips. He wants us to worship him with our lives. I, I worship God through loving my wife. That's an act of worship. As a a child, I I can worship God by walking in obedience to my parents and honoring and reverencing them. as As a person, I can love Jesus Christ and love others. I can worship other people by worship. I mean, I can worship God by serving other people. I have a great opportunity not just to love and worship and ascribe honor and glory to God, but through my worship. Through giving, through serving, through walking in obedience to the word, I'm going to be a blessing to other people and it will go further than I ever thought. How many of you have ever been struck by that moment that just at the right time, just at the moment you needed it the most, a knock came on your door. An envelope came in the mail. A note was handed to you in the hallway. Something that came at just the right moment. And you know what? You knew at the core of it. Someone was just worshiping Jesus. And you happened to get in the way. That, that trail of worship that went up to him didn't make it to him before it stopped 
in your hands, stopped in your life, and met a need. You see, friends, the great news is this. We worship a God who is worthy and honor of our worship. Not just our words. He wants our heart. These men showed us, demonstrated, revealed to us what true worship is. And you know what? When everything else, and I'm struggling to find a reason to worship, I can always sit down, take a deep breath, and say, God, you are still good. You will always be for all eternity. When I can't always see the great things he has laid at my feet, I can worship him because of who he is. Don't be afraid to look like a fool. Don't be afraid to walk in obedience to the word of God, to the will of God. Don't be afraid to worship Jesus and worry about what other people think because when it comes down to it, God's the only opinion that we should care about. And lastly, remember, your act of worship does much more than honor and glorify God. It meets real needs down here. Friend, have you ever met Jesus Christ personally? You see, there's a difference between hearing about Christ and knowing Christ personally. You can read about him, but if you've never met him, the good news is we serve a personal God. He died for you individually. and He gave us the opportunity to know him personally. And today, if you've never made that decision, your heart can truly be filled with the joy that is exclusively those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. You can look at that manger and see beyond the manger that child grew up to die on the cross. And today, God stands ready to receive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed. It matters not how long of a list your failures are. We serve a God whose blood is able to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. He wants to know you, and he demonstrated that by initiating that relationship with you through Jesus. If you've never done that, you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my sins have separated me from you. And today, I believe that that baby in the manger grew up to be a savior on a cross. And on that cross, he died for every sin I have ever committed and will ever commit in my life. And stands today alive, ready to pardon me and to make me his own. If you've never done that, today is the day. This is the moment. Maybe you have another decision. Maybe God has revealed to your heart today that you haven't been worshiping him sincerely. Not truly. Maybe you know in your heart that he deserves better than what you've been giving him. Maybe today God is working on your heart and you want to rededicate your life. God, take me back to the basics of worship. Remind me that it's just about me and you. I long to see the fruit that God brings to his kingdom through what he's going to do this morning. Baptism, rededication, church membership. Maybe you just want some time to pray. I pray that the spirit of God would be allowed to move in the way that he chooses this morning. Father, you are so good. And we are reminded of that today. That you left the glories of heaven and stepped into a cold, dark world. You were born in the basest of ways. Among a poor family. Surrounded by shepherds who smelled like sheep. In a manger of straw surrounded by animals. You drug the depths of humankind 
to remind us that there is no one too low, no one too needy, no one too dirty to be swept up by the love of Christ. Father, today let us respond accordingly. At the altar or in our pew, let us align our hearts with the truth and live to be different people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.